Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of another episode of the Work Life Podcast. This is your host, Agnes Uheretsky. And today I'm speaking with a truly iconic organization. I mean, actually, I can't even believe that I have this opportunity to speak to Brady Pyle, who is the HR director at NASA at the Johnson Space Center. Um, welcome to the podcast, Brady. Thank you, Agnes. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited and I'm, it's a shame uh, listeners cannot see your very visual CV that shows your career along the different uh, positions you've had at NASA and as well at the IFC, which is basically uh, a timeline depicted by uh, Star Wars characters. So uh, this, this shall be a geek moment for any listener who's into space and research and anything to do with the stars. So Brady, now you're HR director, you've you've uh, been involved with NASA and worked for NASA since 1995 um, in different roles. But to, to hand over to you, may I ask you to introduce yourself to listeners, tell them a little bit about your journey, your career, your passion and your role at NASA. Sure, I'd be glad to. So like you mentioned, I started in uh, NASA in 1995 after receiving a graduate degree in HR management from Texas A&M University. I started as a cooperative education student here, uh, spent about 10 years as an HR representative, and for us that role is an internal uh, management consultant providing management advice and consultation to our customers. Uh, did that for about 10 years and then moved into uh, different roles of leadership. I was a team lead for a little while, uh, then I was a functional deputy for a while, and then I became a supervisor of the HR reps for about a year. Uh, then I spent a year as supervisor of our HR development function, managing our training and development uh, budget as well. And then I was selected for a unique opportunity as part of NASA's leadership development program to go to Washington, D.C. So I spent a year in Washington, D.C. at our headquarters at NASA uh, in the HR office there and about six months at the World Bank at the International Finance Corporation in their HR department. 
So I got to see a little different view of HR uh, outside of NASA and bring some of those lessons back to NASA. Then I returned to Houston uh, into our workforce planning and analysis role, uh, spent a little time there, returned to the training and development function, and then ultimately was promoted as deputy HR director. And I spent about three years as deputy HR director and began to look at opportunities to grow and develop. And I read a book called The Chief HR Officer that talked about most HR directors in industry have spent time outside of the HR function. So I began to have conversations with leadership here and actually spent nine months as a frontline leader in our engineering organization to kind of walk in the shoes of a frontline supervisor, which we believe is really critical to building a culture of the organization and and really leading the organization of the future. So it was really great experience, uh, very beneficial to get uh, firsthand knowledge uh, from our engineering organization. Came back, spent a, another year or so as deputy HR director, and then moved into the HR director role in January of 2015, and uh, have been in that role since since then. Right now, one of the key things that NASA is looking at is we're looking at moving from uh, decentralized HR operations to more of a corporate uh, centralized structure. So we're trying to figure out how do we move from 10 different field center locations into a more corporate HR model. Uh, so there's exciting times at, at NASA as we, uh, as we continue to shoot for the stars here. Fantastic. And maybe just as a, as a kind of a secondary question there, how many people are in your charge? Yes, yeah, so we have, uh, there are 3,000 government employees who work uh, here in Houston, Texas. Uh, we have another 8,000 contractors that are on site. So the 3,000 government employees are our customer base for HR, and we have about 50 uh, 50 people in our HR department, another 25 contractor employees, and then I have another 25 that um, support uh, morale and recreation activities. We have an on-site uh, on-site cafeterias, and then an on-site uh, intramural uh, sports uh, league facility uh, that basically runs based on the revenue they generate. And so there's about 25 people that, that run that operation as well. So there's about 100 team members here uh, in our HR organization. Thank, thank you. And, and just um, coming to, to the next question, I mean, you've spent a long career already or, or all your career at NASA. So is this, is there a NASA bug that bites people and then they, you know, they're so passionate, like, just like we see on all the movies, um, is, what is it so special that you, you, you continue to, to stick around? And I think what you just explained about going into the front line and spending time with contractors is also a really exciting example and case study for someone who's really devoted and, and wants to get to know the, the constituency, the customers they serve. So what is it about NASA? Is it possible for you to, to word, to phrase, to share with people who, who only know this iconic organization from films? You know, I think your, I think your word of, of a bug is a good way to put it. Uh, 
there are a lot of us who join the HR organization thinking that we would be here for three or four years and then move on and do something different. And uh, there is something about getting getting hooked uh, by NASA and, and the NASA bug. I think, um, you know, you have an opportunity to learn something new about the space program every day. And when I think about other HR jobs, other organizations, there's a lot of good organizations out there. Uh, but it's hard to, to beat the, the mission that we have and the, the type of work that we do. Uh, here in Houston, there's a big core value um, placed on teamwork. And so we really operate heavily as teams. The, uh, the HR team is leveraged by our, our technical folks, our rocket scientists and engineers and astronauts all rely heavily on HR and the different support functions. And so it becomes a very unique environment to be a part of. And on the whole, at the Johnson Space Center, we see uh, about 4% annual annual attrition, and half of that is retirement. So hmm. very few people leave uh, the organization once, once they get in. Uh, it's very competitive to get into the Johnson Space Center, and um, folks, once, once they arrive, they, they end up staying for lengthy careers. Our average tenure is about 17 years right now, so... Um, folks tend to spend a career here yeah that's what that's what actually i wanted to to also ask you do you do you still need to motivate people because i guess that's you know quite a different um set of organization or people to manage who join because they really want to who are really driven and and it, it's not just a job but really a vocation so I guess it's also for HR, perhaps different from other organizations where, I don't know, do you have to maybe manage people not to work themselves, you know, too much or what, what are, do you see what uh, I'm trying to ask is, is the difference between what we would be a classical organization where people have jobs, but here it's more of a, a vocation, a mission that everybody really associates with. How does this change perhaps the HR function? Yeah, I think like you're saying, there there is a lot of in, intrinsic motivation, and so we we don't offer as a government entity we don't offer a lot of financial incentives, but we don't necessarily have to because there is a lot of intrinsic motivation uh, for folks to who feel connected to the mission and connected to the work. Um, you make a good point there. The, the danger that we have is, is folks getting to that overwork or to burnout. And some of the biggest challenges we face is a lot of our big programs and projects are um, proposed by the presidential administration and then funded by our Congress. And a lot of times there are um, disconnects in, in the vision that the president has with the Congress. And so Sometimes projects and programs get canceled or get changed, which becomes very frustrating to the workforce because mm. they're passionate about what they're doing, moving in a direction, and if the project gets canceled or changed, that's where we run into uh, motivational issues and uh, morale issues. Um, but by and large, that's uh, folks are very intrinsically motivated and, and love the connection to the NASA mission. I think this is perhaps something that other companies also try to really emulate, link 
organizational purpose to individual purpose and i guess in your case this is this this is a no a no brainer so to speak and just also learning that the johnson space center has been recently named um the most innovative organization in government in the us um which which is also very interesting i think there are so many different dimensions here because nasa which is this world known um iconic organization still a government agency as you said depending on um government and laws and 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 national strategies and and government funding yet there is still this this um this achievement of being innovative is it because of the people is it because of the the leadership what, what would you say is are the factors that that ensure that this is such an innovative organization despite being a, a government agency yeah that's that's a great question so let me give a little little background on on where that came from we we have an organization uh, uh here in the US it's called the partnership for public service that actually looks at the uh the federal employee viewpoint survey which is a survey of all federal government employees across the US um and they they develop a couple of indices one is the best places to work uh index in the government and and one is uh, around innovation and their innovation index focuses on uh three particular questions that are asked in that annual engagement survey um one is i am constantly looking for ways to do my job better Uh the second is I feel encouraged to come up with new and better ways of doing things and the third is creativity and innovation are rewarded. So that first question is very individually focused. The vast majority of NASA employees answer that question positively. They're constantly looking for ways to do their job better. Those second and third questions really focus on the environment that that leaders are creating. And one of the issues that that we ran into at the Johnson Space Center If if any of your listeners have have ever seen the uh the movie Apollo 13, uh famous line from the movie and a famous phrase that is associated with NASA is failure is not an option. And that was related to when our crew members were were stuck on a trip to the moon and we were trying to get them home. And the flight director here in Houston said failure is not an option, we need to bring them home. Unfortunately, that that sentiment uh permeated throughout our organization um following that mission that failure is not an option and that mindset uh began to impact our uh creative and innovative approaches and solutions and so uh one of the things that was done recently there were a couple of things that we did here at the Johnson Space Center one is we initiated a new uh awards program to recognize a lean forward fail smart um projects so projects that that lean forward and ended up failing we wanted to give visible recognition to uh that it's it's okay to fail and and particularly if you're trying to try new things and if you're trying to share those lessons learned another area of emphasis that our center director did about 3 years ago was started a program that she called uh, JSC 2.0. She wanted everyone to to like a software release think about what worked well in our environment and then what needed to be changed to move forward to a new future state. And what that encouragement um 
that really impacted the answers that we saw in our engagement survey to that second question about feeling encouraged to come up with new and better ways of doing things, and then creativity and innovation are, are rewarded. So those two things really impacted our our scores on that engagement survey and ultimately catapulted us to the uh, number one organization in government for innovation. That's that's really interesting, and thank you very much for sharing this story because you know the more com- companies organizations we spoke speak to nowadays it's always about pivoting and agility and being able to you know launch new ideas new products explore new markets but then you know have this opportunity to test and fail and and get out of this paralysis of wanting to just deliver the perfect product or the perfect service um, you know, and then by the time it happens, perhaps the market has already come up with something else. So it's, it's a very interesting what you shared about. And, and it seems to me almost like a, quite a heavy legacy as well, right? Some some of the projects, especially uh, some of the projects that may have gone wrong. Is is that a legacy that is also quite stressful or difficult for, for employees and contractors to to work under, so to speak? Yeah, when you when you think about human spaceflight in particular, it's it's a um, very dangerous, very leading edge um, technology and and ways of doing things. And so uh, you you can get into the mindset of um, being heavily pr- protective and zero tolerant for for any risk. Uh, or accepting any risk that's ultimately going to endanger uh, humans going forward in space and exploring. And uh, that's one of the things that NASA is really wrestling with is as we bring in new um, uh, commercial partners. We've got companies like SpaceX and, and Boeing that are coming in to develop um, spacecraft that will get our astronauts up and down uh, to the space station. And uh, they're trying to do things very differently because in our history here, uh, we've had a couple of space shuttle accidents uh, mm. that have lost, lost the crew. And so over the years, we have, we have piled on new requirements to try to minimize that risk. Well, the more you do that, the less room you have for creative and innovative solutions and approaches. And the technical side of our business that deals specifically with human spaceflight kind of permeates the rest of our business. So those of us in support functions that don't have the same life or death consequences adopt a similar risk-averse methodology. And so that's really what our what our leadership tried to tried to do with the the awards program and the uh, the emphasis on JSC 2.0 is to get those of us who aren't dealing with life, life and death kinds of uh, consequences to really think differently and, and think more creatively and innovatively about how we go about doing our business. And so that that was a necessary mind shift, mindset shift for the workforce. Absolutely. And, and I think perhaps what, I mean, I'm not so aware of and and listeners perhaps also not, um, is that NASA does all kinds of research, right? So there's this part, which is sending humans to space, but then there's also other things that then 
permeate other areas of civilian research or civilian products or tools. Um, I, I always jokingly refer to new things in my household as being developed by NASA, such as uh, toothpaste and uh, Velcro, which may not even be true, but 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 yeah. I guess it's it's that right that you have a lot of research and a lot of projects, and then part of it is this. Uh, central or the most visible or the most exciting and, and perhaps the most pioneering one, which is the human space flight and, and how that culture, I think it's very interesting how you explain that. Yeah, and, and so in Houston, uh, our primary role is is human space flight. So we're home to the astronauts and we're home to the, uh, the control center, mission control center that... Um, the astronauts who are currently living aboard the International Space Station um, regularly communicate with um, here in Houston. So that's our primary role. But there are uh, NASA is a large agency, and so you have aeronautics research going on at other locations uh, around the U.S. You have uh, space research. You have uh, deep space satellites. We've got. Uh, the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland is developing a new uh, space telescope, the James Webb Space Telescope, that will uh, peer deeper into space than we've ever been able to see before. Uh, once it launches, um, I can't believe I can't remember if that's 2018 or 2019, but but coming up. So yeah, there's a lot going on in NASA here in Houston at the Johnson Space Center. We are heavily focused on the human spaceflight part of the portfolio. Hmm. And, you know, I have a million questions, but of course, time is, is always limited here. And I uh, just wanted to ask you one more, one more question before we go to the last one, because the latest movie, Hidden Figures, um, was, of course, one that got everybody or, or quite a lot of people focused again on, on NASA and learning more about its history. And, and I'm very interested in, at the Work Life Hub, we're very interested in... in um, uh, gender equality, equal opportunities, diversity, and is there, uh, or do you have some specific initiatives? Is there some quota systems? Is is this on the agenda to try to involve more women in STEM, or or how does this? Uh, what's the status on on these initiatives now? Yeah, great question. So the yeah the Hidden Figures movie has been a a big hit, and it's actually given us a good platform for, for outreach. So we do, a big part of NASA's mission is to inspire the next generation of scientists and engineers. And so we do a lot of outreach to um, elementary schools, uh, high schools, universities, uh, to continue to encourage uh, STEM education and, and STEM careers. Um, at, at the Johnson Space Center here, our, our senior leadership, um, so the head of our center is Dr. Ellen Ochoa, who was actually the first uh, Hispanic woman to fly in space aboard the space shuttle. And uh, she's a PhD in physics and a very accomplished uh, leader. Um, our director of engineering is, is also a woman. Uh, our director of exploration is uh, an African-American woman. Uh, so we we have def definitely a commitment to uh, diversity and, and diversity and leadership. We've had an emphasis recently, the last uh, few years in particular, on 
developing uh, inclusive leadership as a leadership competency. So uh, making sure that we're including uh, all of our team members as we move forward as, as leaders. Um, part of that, uh, we've, we've tried to engage, um, engage white men a little differently in that dialogue and in that journey. Uh, and so we've leveraged a, a group and a partner to help with some, some additional training on inclusive leadership. And we've in, engaged uh, the white men a little bit differently in that conversation. So we're pleased with the progress we're making there and um, definitely want to continue to build. And Because we want an organization and we want leadership that is representative of uh, the diversity we see across the U.S. Mm, great. Um, now, before we go to the last question, may I just ask you, Brady, if you would like to share with listeners your Twitter handle or your LinkedIn um, profile where they can find you, they could maybe get in touch, ask you some more questions, uh, find out more about your work? Absolutely. Uh, my, my Twitter handle is uh, Brady Pyle, and uh, that's also, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Brady Pyle as well. Um, Hopefully it's it's easy to find, and I hope to to get to meet some of the listeners um, at the Work 2.0 event coming up here in October. Absolutely. Um, so it's B R A D Y P Y L E, just uh, to make sure that people get it right. So thank yeah. you for sharing that, and just coming to the last question, um, what? As, as the world does look to NASA in, you know, exploring the next frontiers for humankind, what could organizations take away from how NASA does HR? What do you think would be something quite unique and inspiring that you could share with listeners that would inspire the new generation of HR managers or current ones to, to take a little bit away of, of that of that magic that you have in that organization. I'm, I'm not sure we have a a special recipe for it, but I do know one of one of the things that has worked well for us is to continue to focus on the mission of the organization, um, understanding the the business and and where NASA wants to head, and and align our our HR strategy with that. Uh, I think a big thing that has made this organization successful over the years is uh, how we do management advice and, and consultation. So we uh, we bring folks in from uh, from colleges and universities, usually as a, a cooperative education student. Um, they have a good platform of consulting skills, and then we teach them uh, the HR business. Uh, and we've hired folks from uh, HR degree fields and then also uh, industrial and organizational psychology. And we find the blend between the IO psych and the HR management uh, tends to provide a, a unique blend of advice and consultation that we can provide to the customers here. We have a very unique environment in that our 3,000 clients and customers are all based here in Houston, so we can sit face-to-face -face in staff meetings, learn the business, and we can sit face-to-face -face and actually provide that advice and consultation. And 
I think that's very unique in in today's uh, HR uh, HR space. Hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you very much for your time to come on the podcast and and um, explain a little bit the internal workings of this organization that we all know. Um, it has been a great pleasure having this conversation with you, and I'm. I wish you all the best with with the new ventures and 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 your work. Thank you, Agnes. I, I look forward to catching up with you and uh, many of the listeners in uh, in Johannesburg in October. <laughs>